Welcome to a new episode of Tread Lightly. I am your co-host and running coach, Amanda Brooks of Run to the Finish. And I'm your co-host and running coach, Laura of Laura Norris Running. I am excited about today's topic because it applies to everyone from the brand new runner to the experienced runner to the returning runner, and I think it'll just be really useful. Yes, this one we've gotten so many people writing in with questions about, um, and we'll just start with one of those questions we've gotten about this. So at Mari Moseni, and I apologize if I mispronounce that, she said, post-marathon, I want to spend time increasing the total amount of kilometers I can tolerate per week, but how do you increase and maintain in a smart way? I love this question because I have gotten it from a couple people now, and I think it's kind of this idea of post-marathon, I don't want to just have like my mileage drop way off, even though I'm not running a marathon, but I don't want to be doing like just marathon stuff. So kind of finding that balance and finding that place. And I think a lot of that is this process of sort of learning how you increase your mileage in a way that feels good, doesn't lead to injuries or overtraining or burnout. And so I think this whole episode is going to kind of answer it. Yes. Yeah. I think this episode will answer her question and the ones that other people sent in. So we're going to be talking about how to increase your running mileage, whether it's like you said, for the first time returning to mileage, how to do it safely. And we'll get into things like doubles and long run percentages. But to begin, we should probably touch on the thing that everyone asks about the 10% rule. Is this accurate? Yep. So the 10% rule is the thing that most of us hear about the most. And if you haven't heard of it, the 10% rule states that you shouldn't increase your total weekly volume more than 10% each week. So this kind of came about through a number of things that were looked at and they've said, hey, this is the best way to ensure that you aren't doing too much too soon, which is when we get our injuries. So it does apply to a lot of people, but maybe isn't perfect all the time, especially if you're kind of a lower volume runner. So what we see is maybe you're currently doing five miles a week. You might actually be able to do a 50% increase. So you could up it an additional 2.5 miles and probably not have a risk of injury. If you're doing six to 10 miles, maybe a 35% increase. 11 to 20 miles, 25%, 21 to 30, maybe up to 20% as long as you're healthy and not having issues. So really it's when you're doing 31 miles a week or more, that's where this 10% rule starts to kick in. And so oftentimes the 10% rule is kind of targeted to folks who are doing half and full marathons and have been putting in maybe a little bit more volume. What do you kind of think about that? So at the 10% rule, I find it works for some people and it's safe, but for other people, it's not necessary. Like you said, low volume runners would spend forever trying to increase their mileage if they only added half a mile a week or one mile a week. I think it also kind of falls apart at the high end when you have runners who are doing 60 plus miles per week. If you were to go to 60 to 66, that can actually be a pretty big jump for those runners, especially if they're kind of already on the edge of what's sustainable. I also, the one thing I don't like about the 10% rule is it's implied that you add 10% week after week after week. And 
I like methods such as the Jack Daniels equilibrium method where there's time to adapt to that mileage, which lets your musculoskeletal system adapt and your cardiovascular system adapt. And that can bring down injury risk, but I think it also just feels better for a lot of runners to have weeks where they stay at the same mileage rather than ramping up week after week after week. I totally agree. And do you want to kind of explain what the Jack Daniels equilibrium method is? Probably not as many folks have maybe heard of it. Yeah. So this one comes from his Daniels running formula books. And it's essentially that when you increase mileage, you bump it up by say like 15 to 20% a week if you're lower volume, maybe just 10% if you are the higher volume. And then you spend about like two to four weeks at that point repeating that same mileage before you even think about increasing it again. So it's a increase, hold, hold, hold. You can also add cutback weeks in there, which I don't know if he has that in his books, but that's where you would increase, hold, hold, cut back, and then increase again. So it takes longer to get to your mileage goal, but it tends to be safer because you're giving your body time to adapt. And I like that again, when you're on that little bit higher end of volume, so 30, 40, 50, 60 plus miles a week, um, when you're at kind of that low end and you're initially coming in, you, you know, five miles a week to 15 miles a week, you may not hold as long, um, like you said. So I think It's another one. There was one thing I had read from him was, and I think this is because it was targeted at his athletes that were already doing hundred mile weeks is he would say things like you can't increase your mileage by more than the number of training sessions you have. So if they were running seven times a week, they could add seven miles. Um, And again, I think that kind of only works at some of these high volumes. Cause if you're doing 10 miles a week and you're doing three runs, I mean, I guess roughly you could add three miles, but I feel like that just gets a little trickier. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's always important to remember that Daniels is almost exclusively talking for high volume, faster athletes. Like he, a lot of these things that he formed were based on people doing 60 plus miles a week, not people doing 15 miles per week. I think you said something else there that's interesting and I almost bet is a question that people are wondering, does it matter what my pace is when looking at the volume that I'm increasing every week? And what would your take on that be? Yeah, that's a great question. And my, my take, which will vary from others is I do think time on your feet matters. So if it takes you 15 minutes to run a mile or it takes you seven, I mean, that's almost, you know, half the difference. So when we're sometimes adding distance for slower runners, sometimes I think in terms of just adding 10 minutes to a run versus asking them to run an additional 15 minutes to get a mile. For faster runners who a mile is just less time on their feet, maybe we can be more aggressive in building it up. I, I just like to think about like the time an athlete's out on their feet from both a metabolic perspective, but also from how they're actually running and living out the mileage and what stress it's placing on their schedule. Yeah. So I think that is a great point to remember, even when you're looking at some of these quote rules about how much volume to add is how much additional time is that adding on your feet? So maybe if you feel like, okay, I'm a little bit, it takes me a little bit longer then maybe you're looking at an increase of 10% in volume, meaning time 
instead of 10% in terms of mileage. Um, and I would say kind of look at that and determine which one is going to be like more. So if adding 10% in mileage is a lot more time than 10% of time on your feet, go with the smaller one just to be safe. I think you and I both kind of lean towards the side of being conservative because I would rather you be able to run and not be injured than you progress fast and then have a big setback. Oh, absolutely. Because when you look at it in like six to 12 month timelines, it's far better to spend, say, six months gradually building up your mileage than to build it up rapidly in two months and then take three months off for injury. Yeah, 100%. And you also mentioned cutback weeks, which are something that I am such a fan of, whether you are base building or race training. Um, but explain a little bit more of kind of like what they are and, and how people use them. Yeah. So cutback weeks, or you might also hear the term of like deload, down, recovery week, they all kind of mean roughly the same thing, are a deliberate minor reduction in training volume for the week. So a lot of times I take people down to 80 to 85% of their recent mileage just for one week. And what it's doing is it's letting your body recover without having any detraining occurring. So, you know, if you're doing like 30 miles a week, you might step down to mid 20s for a week or such. Um, so it lets your musculoskeletal system recover. It lets your nervous system recover. You can maybe restock some muscle glycogen more. It's just a nice mental break also. And I find that when we have these cutback weeks, which you take about every three to five weeks, depending on the athlete, it adds in longevity to the sport. And for a lot of people, it's also just they look forward to it. They're like, oh, this week I get a little bit of a break. So it encourages more long-term time at that higher mileage. Again, when we're looking at like six to 12 month trajectories. Yeah. And I think sometimes people get nervous about cutback weeks thinking that, oh, I'm, I'm losing. I need to just always be progressing, always be progressing, um, especially when you're trying to build your mileage. But Cutback weeks are an actual part of the process of you getting better. We've talked about this idea of super compensation before, and same thing applies when you're building mileage. It's just, it's like why we take a rest day. It's a chance for your body to catch up to all the work you've been doing because it's in the rest that it actually catches up. So if you haven't been doing cutbacks, you've just been building, 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 um, this is your reminder. Start throwing them into training. Um, like Laura said, most of the time you'll see most actual training plans, maybe it's three weeks on and then a cutback week. So your fourth week is a cutback. Um, it varies a little per person, but most of your standard printable plans, that's probably how they're going to be kind of set up. Yeah. And it's also one of those things like I like for master's athletes to do it like two weeks build one week, come back. And then sometimes if it's base building and we're just doing mileage, no intensity, maybe some durable athletes can do like four weeks build, one big cutback. But when people come into me for coaching and they've never done cutback weeks before and we start doing them, it's just they feel so much better. They enjoy their running more and you start to see breakthroughs. A million percent. I agree with all of that. Um, okay. So let's talk about a few more things. If you're in this phase of trying to build up your running volume, building up your running endurance, then this might be a period where you actually want to take out some intensity. And this is something that I'll do a few times a year, very intentionally. I'll make sure like, okay, for the next 
sometimes I'll be like, for the next month, I'm going to have no intensity. So when I was trying to build back into marathon training, I was like, I've just got to get used to like putting in more miles every week. And if you take out the intensity, that allows us to just focus on getting your aerobic system the most efficient that it can be because it doesn't have to also contend with the soreness or, you know, the high recovery from a speed workout and that things like that. So with less recovery time needed after a run, because it wasn't a speed workout session, you're more able to run maybe back to back days where that was a struggle before, or to do your long run and feel okay to run a little bit the next day. So for a little while there, when volume is at first your goal, taking out some of the intensity can be really helpful. You may still be throwing in some strides or a day of hill repeats. Um, for my folks who are trying low heart rate for the first time, I will actually have some of them spend months doing almost no intensity. And it's because they've spent so long in the gray zone, their body is so stressed out that in order to get everything to like calm down and be able to have any sort of volume, we just take it all out for a while. Yeah. I love that approach of just doing solid base builds with really only strides, because I think the problem a lot of people get is they try to keep that intensity in and that's just too much for your body to handle. It's kind of like the inverse of when you're increasing intensity, you take volume down. Now, one thing I hear a lot from athletes who are trying to increase their mileage is they're like, I'm tired all the time. Or every time I feel like I increase mileage, I get some soft tissue injuries or bone injury. And I think that can in part be that fatigue or injury risk due to athletes not always increasing their energy intake when they're building up mileage. Um, it's kind of like very basic, like you run more, you need to eat more. And even if you're aiming for weight loss, like you still probably need to increase your nutrition in some way. But because of how higher mileage can interact with hunger hormones like leptin and peptin YY, you might actually not feel super hungry while you're doing this until it hits you on your rest day or something. But one thing that is really important when you're doing all this, even if you're just running easy miles, easy miles still burn carbs, is you want to adjust your energy intake. It might not be huge, but it might be even where an extra 100, 150 calories per day helps you. Yes, especially for our weight loss runners. We need you to hear this, that like your fueling is part of even helping that process happen. And I think you and I have both seen this. I admit to way back, it was one of my worst qualities, fueling on long runs. I wouldn't do it because it was calories that I didn't feel like I needed. Um, and so we've said this many times, but even though you may not feel like you need them in that moment, it is about your overall recovery. And if your goal right now is being able to increase volume, your body has to have enough energy to recover and show up the next day. Yes. Yeah. Cause it's like you said before, it's all about that recovery. There's no super compensation without the ability to recover. Yes. So maybe you're not increasing for the first time. You're actually trying to build back to where you were before. Maybe it's after a marathon or maybe you've been like a little bit sick or something. So We've talked about this before, but your comeback is relative to how long you've taken off. So for post-marathon, 
that's a little different than being off for an injury. There's physiological things happening there in your body. You are supposed to not be running. So after you've had that couple weeks recovery, when you want to kind of start back in, I like to think of it almost like a reverse taper. So if your taper was a cut down of, you know, 40% and then 60% of normal volume, cool. Then you're starting back at 60% of what was your volume. And you may even need to start a little lower than that, just depending on how your legs feel. But that's at least like a nice place to start instead of trying to go right back into like the big quote normal weeks you felt like you had. Um, so ease your way back into it. But then again, like we've said, if it's after an injury or after an illness, you've got kind of different guidelines to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Like typically after an injury, depending on how long you're off, it will be at first a really slow rebuild that might not even be 10% per week for a little bit. But then if you've been running before, once you hit kind of like four to six weeks of rebuilding, it more quickly goes back. We just want to get your musculoskeletal system adapted so you don't get injured again, because so many runners will get injured coming back from injury by jumping into the mileage they had been doing before they got injured. Yeah, that's a great point. Like when I came back from knee surgery, obviously there's a very intentional, here's some initial guidelines from your PT. So if you've had an injury where you had to go to a PT, they usually have some initial guidelines, which are a good place to start. And then I very much experienced that. Initially, it felt so slow and I'm just run walking and everything is so hard. And then all of a sudden it kind of just clicks in again and your body has built back up enough that like it starts to remember, oh yeah, I did this. I know how to do this and everything feels stronger. And then your build seems to just pick up speed a little bit, but you have to have that first slow re-entry. Yes. Yeah. And after illness, it kind of depends on what you had and how you're recovering, but energy should be your guide and you don't want to like do too much too soon and back spiral into fatigue, especially after certain viruses. So that's where you kind of just let energy guide you and how you're feeling, bring you back into the mileage you were doing before. But again, that's something where maybe I'm too conservative, but I'm always like, let's give ourselves a couple weeks of like, not quite back at 100% just to be careful. Yeah, I agree. I tend to have sort of the idea that, okay, your immune system was just down. So I don't want to like have you jump right back into your speed workout and tax the body really quickly. So again, like you said, it depends. Okay. You had the sniffles for a few days. All right. Versus like you had a stomach virus and you weren't able to run for the whole week and you have no energy. Um, so different things, be smart. You guys, at the end of the day, your common sense probably told you like, I shouldn't make my first run back that 13 mile run after being sick for a week. So know that the slower return or build back is better for you in the long run and just keep coming back over and over and over to that mindset. I feel like if that's like a big takeaway partway through this episode, it's be conservative, not aggressive in that now, if you're healthy and you're kind of at a point where, say, you're coming off a base phase or off season into marathon training, half marathon, ultra, whatever, that is a scenario where maybe you can be a little bit more aggressive, assuming you're healthy and you're feeling well. 
because maybe you were just at that mileage a couple months ago. So, you know, you did a marathon, took your off season, and now you're coming back into a marathon. That's where maybe we can jump it up a little bit more. But again, you have to increase your energy intake, not just intuitively based on hunger, but based on logic of I'm running more. This is how I know I should eat during marathon training. And for those runners, like you can keep in a little intensity. It's the beginning of training though. So we're not even thinking about our biggest workouts yet. Like if you often think about marathon training, you aren't doing the huge hard workouts 18 weeks out, or at least you should not be. Um, I like to increase people earlier in marathon training and then kind of hold, but I know everyone's a little different. Yeah, I agree. It depends a little on with the experienced athletes. I agree. That is really nice to be able to do. Which leads to one of our next questions as we talk about long runs and marathons, which is, should your long run be a certain percentage of your weekly volume? And I know that I run into this a lot with folks who are really busy, and so they feel like they just can't get in some of those weekday miles. And that means their weekend long run often ends up being like 50% of their total weekly volume. Which is a lot. Like that's a lot. And the long run is going to feel so tremendously stressful on your body. I mean, your musculoskeletal system isn't adapted to that distance and your endurance might not be up to it. And then like cognitively, it's a lot to think about, you know, oh, I ran three miles most days of this week. Now I'm going to go out and do 18. I agree. I mentally... That would be really rough for me. I know some folks are like, no, no, it's better because I'm all rested to get to the 18, but you're still missing out on all the adaptations that should be happening. And multiple different coaches, whether it's Hanson's, Jack Daniels, I've seen a number of others have kind of said that long run shouldn't comprise more than 25 to maybe 30% of your total weekly volume. So if you've got a 20 mile long run on the weekend, you should have like some decent runs happening during the week. Um, it shouldn't be just a bunch of, like you said, three mile runs and then a jump to 20. Yeah. And for some of my more neurotic runners out there who I know will do the math and be like, so should I run 60 miles a week to do 20? Like it's a rough guideline and it's kind of just a good way to think about like, keep it definitely under 50% try to keep it, you know, for most of training closer to that 25 to 30. If for like one week of marathon training, it's like 35% of your mileage, you'll be okay. And also think of it as like not just mileage, but overall aerobic training volume. So if you are doing the bike or you're doing the elliptical, that does count to a certain degree, more so for experienced runners, I say, than new ones who just don't have the trials of the miles in their background. Great, great point. I think that is one of the the things with all of these recommendations is this is your general guideline. So overall, for the main duration of your running, try not to be having it, you know, way out of whack. But yeah, if it happens occasionally that it's higher once, or like you said, when you're really hitting some peak, peak weeks, um, Yes, don't freak out on us. <laughs> but if you see that consistently your long run is making up such a big volume, then you need to figure out, okay, well, do I need to take that run down or how can I get a little bit more in during the week so that I really am better prepared? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know who you are. I like my marathoners to be trying to do like an hour for their easy runs by like peak training, even if it's just covering like four miles in that hour or whatever, because I think those weekday runs matter just almost just as much as the long run. It's just, we have a tendency to emphasize the long run. A hundred percent. What you're doing during the week matters. And it's sort of that accumulated fatigue. And while I don't accumulate fatigue in the way that Hanson's do, they have like the general idea there that I need you to put in some mileage during the week so that when you do that long run, you're doing it on legs that aren't super fresh. And that's the difference when we get to race days, your legs instead are super fresh and fueled and things like that. So it allows you to run that extra distance that everyone gets so concerned about. So then almost like going off of that idea of running on tired legs, what are your thoughts on adding in double runs or, you know, for our listeners who might be like, what's Laura on about where you run a second run in the day? Yeah, I feel like I've had a lot more questions on this again recently, and it might just be because we're kind of in the midst of super high marathon training for fall things. So I have definitely done double runs myself in the past, um, but I have a couple rules for most people before I want them adding them in. I need to see a minimum of three to four months where they're running consistently, probably five days a week, and there are no injuries and they feel good. And then to me, that's kind of, you know, okay, we've got your long run at a really nice place. We've got a midweek run at a really nice place but we wanna get in just a little bit more. So then I'm open to, okay, what if we do throw in a second run? Um, And this is for a lot of the elites, how they get up to their hundred plus miles a week. They end up with double days because it's less taxing to do eight in the morning and four at night than a straight 12 in the middle of the week or something. Yeah, yeah, the practice is very, very common amongst all elites, but it's really tricky. I feel like for recreational runners, cause it's also like you're going to work in between all of these. I know some of you aren't great about eating lunch at work or staying hydrated at work. And I think it's really important, like for a recreational runner who's considering these to like, look at that picture of, you know, can you go into that second run with enough recovery between the two, or are you going to be going in dehydrated and a little hungry? And I think it comes back to really what is the goal and the purpose and the outcome of adding that second run. So are you getting the adaptations out of those extra miles that you think you're getting? So if you're thinking, oh, I just really want to increase my volume, but like Laura said, it's actually just breaking you down more because you're not fully recovered or fully fueled, then I don't know that the trade-off is worth it for the extra miles. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, and for a lot of runners, like I try to extend their weekday runs as much as I like the single run as much as they can, because, you know, again, like you said, with the elites, they're doing these like 12 mile days with them. A lot of recreational runners are capping out their weekdays at five to six. And so there might be more reward if they try to do seven to eight all at once versus five in the morning and adding two on in the PM. I mean, There's a lot of different theories on why doubles work and the metabolic processes that come with that. But if you're training for a marathon, having a little bit more continuous mileage at once can be more beneficial. 
And while this episode was not about this, I think because you've mentioned that, it's a good time. There's another question that often comes up, which is about splitting the long run. Oh. And yeah, so while I know this isn't about increasing your mileage, I think it'll still answer a question for a lot of people. So if it comes to your weekend, and especially I feel like for my runners who are like, I'm going to be out there longer and they've got a 16 mile run, I will get the question, is it okay for me to split this up? Um, So I'd love to hear what your answer is when you get asked that. Yeah. And I I know that like, I'm not saying my answer is the right answer. It's just the approach I found that works best for the athlete population I work with. Generally, we don't split it within a single day. So it's not like go out and do eight in the AM, eight in the PM, because for a lot of them, like they need to practice the mental aspect of being on their feet for that long. They need to practice their fueling. And also I know for a ton of my runners, like they're busy, they're taking their kids to sport practice, managing all this stuff. Like, again, there's just a lot that could go on between those two runs. So usually in most situations, we try to keep it one run or do like back-to-back days of like, okay, let's do a day of 12 and then 10 the next day. But overall, I try to keep it all at once just because I think some of the even like non-physiological benefits are very rewarding. Yeah, I agree. Especially the mental side of learning how to be out there a really long time is a huge piece of marathon training. Um, I will say most of the time I ask folks, how can we, like you said, work this out so you don't have to split it. But every once in a while in your training, if you're like, I can either get in eight in the morning and eight at night, or I can get in eight and that's it um, for my long run, then I'm going to say, okay, like I'll take the split and like, let's, I need you to get in this volume. Um, so if you have to do it occasionally, like do it and like, don't fret over it. But yeah, if it, if you're every single weekend splitting up that long run, then I feel like you're, you're missing out on some of the things that we really want from that extended time on feet. Yeah. And this was just popped in my head now, even with that, like one thing, this isn't necessarily about safely increasing mileage, but it goes back to the tolerating increased mileage point of our question is boredom on runs. Like talking about splitting long runs and the mental aspect made me think of that because I hear a lot of athletes be like, well, I just get bored when I increase my mileage. So what suggestions would you have for athletes where it's not a physical aspect, it's a mental aspect affecting their ability to increase mileage? That is a great point because I do hear that a lot. I feel like I've been running so long now. I don't remember why I get bored, but I know I've thought about that when I think about running a marathon again. And I think it's a lot of mind games. That is what running is. It's a lot of, oh, I just want to run over and see what's around that corner. (laughs) Like I'm like, oh, is there a new park over there that I can go check out? Um, Or figuring out if you're the kind of person who gets, you know, really jazzed up by your music or I get really lost in a good audio book. Yes. And if it's good, then I'm like, well, I need to keep going because I really want to hear what's going to happen. Um, so I think you have to kind of play around and be willing to truly play games with yourself about, you know, run to that next stop sign. I'll just do five more minutes. And then when you finish that five minutes, well, I'll just do five more Um, but yeah, you've got to kind of just play with those things and see what kind of taps in for you. 
Yeah, I agree. And it's kind of like building that mindset that like, it's okay to be bored and there's nothing wrong if you're bored, but also like, yeah, plan a new route, call someone if you really want to talk with someone, but you don't have a running buddy. Or, I mean, I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. Also, like if you find a good one, you can just get so absorbed in it. And then if you save it for runs, you then really look forward. You're like, yes, I get to run another 75 minutes, which means a couple more chapters of my book. It's so true. And it can also, like you said, it's fine to be bored or to just think like, oh my gosh, the times that I like do math in my head and things like that. And like a couple miles have gone past and I've thought about my budget for something. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like so many good ideas come when you're just like running and letting your mind wander. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that sometimes we worry too much about boredom, but it's, Miles don't have to be boring. Yeah, that was a really, really good one. I think that was a great point to end on. So I hope this gave everyone some ideas around increasing your mileage, doing it safely, what that kind of looks like. But as always, if you have more questions, feel free to drop us a note on Instagram at treadlightlyrunning. Yes, and please rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Amazon. Thank you for listening.